I'm Jack Kennedy, and we're here to bring you the latest in MMA. My name is Hunter Boss, and what the boss says goes. What is up, everyone? My name is Keaton McNamara, and you already know what time it is. And welcome to the MMA Island Podcast. I am Jack Kennedy alongside Kayla McNamara. And joining us again, we have our good friend Kevin Varghese. Thank you so much for joining us. And we have a lot to break down for UFC 274. Let's go ahead and get started with that. Starting with the news. The main event. Breaking it down. Oliveira submits Justin Gaethje. Kevin, what is your thought process? What do you think about the main event? Uh... Uh, since I was in for a Formula One, I'm gonna bring back a common, uh, a funny meme that Fernando yeah. Alonso said when he uh, saw Joylin Parma retire from the race, which was karma. This is all karma. I'm telling you right now, <laughs> and here's why: Justin Gaethje was calling Charles Oliveira a quitter the whole week just to quit himself. Mm. And listen, you might say, "Oh, wow, well, that's bold for you to say." I'm like, you know, listen, he tapped out. At the end of the day, you know, uh, he talked like, if there's one thing you have to understand, uh, this man was forged in the favelas of Brazil. You know, that he is known to go through, he literally, you, ha- you have to learn, if you see the back, the origin stories of Charles, he came from nothing, guys. You understand? Yeah. You take away the belt, he's still Charles Oliveira. You understand? You strip him of that belt that day because he didn't make the 0.5 pounds, which is a whole other controversy on itself. He's still dangerous as Charles Oliveira. That's what Justin Gaethje, when I saw him post the tweet of him on that scale at 165, oh, you know, the poor bastard is still cutting weight. Yeah, because that's how committed he is. He could have just been like, yeah, you know what? I don't want to cut the extra 0.5 pounds. Uh, I'm just going to, no. That's how much the championship meant for him. And when he went into that octagon, he had even something more to prove because not only did he get a quitter, he was, in my opinion, uh, not properly given a proper chance to weigh in, right? Something happened in between. Yeah. All of these things against him, he fought against all odds, got knocked down, and he came back to submit and still say that the lightweight division still runs through Charles Dubronx Oliveira. Where do we even start? I mean, it was an absolutely mental fight week. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure you've all seen this, but if you haven't, I mean, I don't know where you've been. Unless you're Kevin, who is at the Formula One, he has an excuse to have missed it. But if not, you have no excuse. Um, I'll start briefly with the weight controversy and then move on to the fight, because I think we have to address this in its entirety. Um, from what I understand, and I could be wrong, but this is what I heard, Um From what I understand, right, uh, it's Friday. Charles Oliveira goes to weigh in. He thinks he's on weight. Everything's fine. He then finds out about an hour before he's, or about two hours before he's due to weigh in, that he's 2.2 pounds over 155. Now, this is an issue a lot of fighters seem to have. Apparently, something like 10 or 15 fighters weighed in half a pound over their weight limit. 
which again, like Kevin said, that's a whole nother conversation for another day. But on to Charles Oliveira. So Charles finds out he has £2.2 to drop in, what is it, an hour that they get to drop the extra weight. So he comes back for his, uh, second, his first attempt and he weighs half a pound over the weight. He comes back for his second or his third attempt and he still hasn't been able to shift the weight. Now, it's incredibly harsh on Charles Oliveira because this is a guy who is so committed to the game and he always makes weight come hell or high water. Quite frankly, he got screwed out of it because he didn't realize he was over, he was as over the weight as he thought he was. But that's a different conversation for another episode. Maybe next week, if we can find the time to talk about it, we definitely will. But on to fight night, more importantly, and man, did Charles Oliveira look brilliant. Justin Gaethje, credit to the boy, he brought it the way he always does. But Charles Oliveira is such a menace, it's not even funny. Um, you know, checked every leg kick Justin Gaethje threw, got knocked down, begged Justin Gaethje to come down on top of him, and he didn't want to. He, I mean, it tells you a lot when Justin Gaethje will not dive onto the ground to try and finish you. That's how dangerous Charles Oliveira is. Um Got back up, knocked Justin Gaethje down incredibly. I think he knocked him down twice, actually. Got onto his back. And what did I say, Jack, on Friday? The second Charles Oliveira gets your back, you're dead. You don't get back up from it. Justin Gaethje did not get back up. And like Kevin said, because he's absolutely correct, Justin Gaethje became the quitter that he prophesied. It just wasn't Charles that quit. It was him. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you've learned one life lesson out of this weekend, don't call Charles Oliveira a quitter because he'll make you do the same thing. Wait, wait, so one last thing. Um, I think this whole fight for Justin Gaethje went downhill on that first exchange when he got stunned. That was when he realized, oh, my God, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Charles because, is good. Yeah, because, yo, like, I think Justin realized, oh, my God, he's not here to play around when he got like, because, like, the commentary picked up on it, too. Like, oh, my God, he got stunned. Right. And then Justin Gaethje decided to throw every like he went straight gunslinger. Yeah. Right. This the, this is the problem I see with a lot of these wrestler uh, wrestlers that go into MMA is the moment they f- sense any danger instead of relying on their bread and butter, they decide to turn into cowboys and pull out their guns. So for me, like even Michael Chandler against Tony Ferguson, right, guys, I'll break that down. But it's like Justin Gaethje, if he had fought the way he fought against uh Michael Chandler, honestly, I don't think Charles Oliveira would be champion. Interesting um, thought. Very interesting thought. Jack, what are your thoughts on it? Well, here, here's first things first. The champion has a name, and his name is Charles Oliveira. I'll say that first. That dude is Lighter 100% for the, the, the champion. Um, the whole weight thing is infuriating because at first I'm on, you know, the side of like, you need to make weight. You're the champ. It's unacceptable because me personally, I, I and if you watch previous episodes, you know I'm very heavy on make the weight. Like that's what's agreed to. However, after seeing what or reading about what happened beforehand and, and all the information that has been presented, 
I am on the side of Charles Oliveira is what it seems like. It sounds like so many of these guys got just like screwed over by the, by the weight issue. And for Charles Oliveira, he looked more bulked up for this fight than he usually does, which means he had to have his weight down to a science, which also means that once you're cold, which he was cold in that morning, he was ready to go. You're not going to be able to cut that weight. So his body type, that's why I feel for him in that whole scenario. So that's, that's my small little take on that, but into the fight itself. Right. Um, to be honest, Kevin, you had an interesting take about uh, the, the wrestlers and, and whenever they get into danger, they just kind of go crazy. And I agree with that. However, the one thing is Justin Gaethje, that's just how he fights normally, is, is like that. I honestly think the right hand inspired him to keep going forward because that's the type of fight he likes. I really don't think that was a moment where he was like, oh, crap, like he can stun me. I think he was like, yes, Charles Oliveira is coming to fight like he fights in every other one of his fights. I love this, and I'm going to start brawling. And then he started rocking Oliveira, and he gets confident this is why i picked charles Oliveira in this fight because it's a trend three fights in a row now he has been dropped twice and almost finished completely almost out but he gets up and goes forward and swarms you and then there's an adrenaline dump or just a mindset thing where your killer instinct is like how is this guy still standing and still coming forward not only that he goes out there throws a clean right hand and drops justin gaethje no, very few people can do that. Justin Gaethje does not get dropped like that. He usually gets dropped by just wild haymakers down to a knee. He got clean dropped by that straight right hand. And then Keelan, like you said, and like I predicted, that is what happens when Charles Oliveira goes to the ground. As soon as he went to the ground, as soon as Gaethje got dropped like that, fight was done because Oliveira is an absolute wizard on the ground. He will finish you. And man, what a performance from Charles Dubronx Oliveira. I mean, I'm just such a fan of this guy in, in general because he is a champion that is active, but he is a champion that fights. He goes out there and fights. He's not safe. He's not reserved. He's not calm, but he goes out there and puts on a show, puts on a war, and this dude is the number one contender, but he's the champ, man. Charles Oliveira is the man. Charles Oliveira is the man. Can't argue there. Can't argue there. Like, if there's anything um, we've seen with Charles de Bronx with this resurgence, let's be honest, this yeah. is like, you know, the man that was forged in the favelas of Brazil, you know, got into the UFC as, as a young prospect, right? Was honestly, he went 10 and 8. And I don't blame him for like, you, you go 10 and 8 as a prospect, as a 20 year old kid growing up, right? Like, okay, you're 20, you, you know, you make those mistakes then, but now you're a man. That's the one thing I respect about Justin's analysis of Gaethje is, I mean, Justin's analysis of Oliveira is, he called uh, the old Oliveira a boy. Yeah. And the champion that Oliveira is, is now a man. And his analysis is right. Because this is no longer the guy that, you know, if he faced adversity, initially just faltered and, you know, caved. This is the man that takes adversity and treats it like his best friend. You understand? You see what happens when he gets hurt, he falls to the ground. He's like, well, come right, come yeah. down, come on down. Yeah. He's like, come on, let's have some fun. You understand? He welcomes it like his best friend. And there was this, uh, it, it kind of reminded me of like, you know, um, the Conor McGregor telling Jose Aldo, you're my, 
you know, be, like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. you're my witch with a bee, you know, like, yeah. I'll make you my, you know, like, that's the type of thing Oliveira was telling. Him, and that's what makes him dangerous. You know, like, even when he's coiled like a snake, right? That's when he pounces. Just because a snake is on the ground doesn't mean, uh, it, it doesn't like, it just it, wait till it, it can leap up and circle right around you. And that's exactly what he did. Now, if you don't mind, I'm, yeah. I, I will, uh, I, I just want to talk into, the Chandler and Ferguson thing. Do you let's let's transition to the best of the best then. Oh, now we're talking. Now we're talking. Yes, Kevin, take it away. Let's go. All right. Transition from the great Jack Kennedy. Uh, and I'll take it over. Uh, listen, Jack, Keelan, the boogeyman is dead. Uh I I if you want to see a soul leave a body. I think the UFC photographers caught the perfect still photography of the knockout. And in my opinion, um, the whole reason this knockout happened was the fact that Chandler pulled a complete trick out of the bag that no one expected. And you could tell, and he Chandler read it perfectly. Like the way Tony's hands were up, the uppercut was not working because Tony was countering with the right hand, yeah. right? Yeah. Then you saw he got dropped. So if anything, it was that front kick. But, like, we've never seen Chandler throw a front kick. So think about Tony. Tony's never seen it in the tapes. And this is where I said my, uh, Michael Chandler turned into the archangel himself, took out the holy lens, and stabbed it right in front of Tony Ferguson's chin, ending the kukui the boogeyman and putting the devil himself to sleep. I don't think Michael Chandler could have cut a better promo. Yeah. I don't think he could have called the two people who could get him the biggest fights. He called him out. Yeah. That man, if he wanted can transition into WWE and be at home right now. That's how good, like Ric Flair would be crying the way he said that promo. Yeah. You know, so ladies and gentlemen, Michael Chandler, don't doubt the man. You know, he faced the best of the best. And the same thing goes to all the light lightweights that are losing right now. Stop doubting them, please. Please stop disrespecting them. They're losing to the top of the top. They're not losing to nobodies. Conor McGregor lost to Dustin Poirier. Dustin Poirier lost to Charles Oliveira. Tony Ferguson lost to Michael Chandler. Michael Chandler lost to Charles Oliveira. You guys see, like, it's not like these guys are losing to average oh, or, yeah. like, bums in MMA. Division stack. So, please, guys, going forward, especially with Tony Ferguson, do not be disrespectful. This is, if anything, one of the most impressive things that Michael Chandler could have done entering the UFC, which was knocking out a guy that no one's been able to knock out. That's always a tough thing to do. And if anything, Tony Ferguson was winning that fight till the knockout. So, uh, don't be disrespectful uh, and give some props to Tony Ferguson for taking a year off, coming back. And honestly, I think there's a lot of thinking to do and a lot of rest to take for Tony Ferguson. It was it was a bad knockout. Uh, I hope he is recovering and wishing him well. Uh, but, you know, like it, it kind of and, you know, kind of was. Uh, in, all, in all honesty, this fight, play I think, was the bane of the co-main event in my opinion, but uh, I think that's a whole nother conversation. So I'm going to transition it over to the Irish 
Magic Man himself, Keelan. <laughs> the Irish Magic Man, I'm claiming that. I like that a lot. Um, there's a lot to break down here, so I'll do as best a job as I can, as quickly as I can, like my good friend Kevin just did. Um, I have a very different view of this for a couple of different reasons, because I don't think Al Kikui is dead. I actually think his stock rises from this, despite such a horrendous knockout. Now, you might think I'm crazy, and I probably am, but I will tell you why. Tony Ferguson's a 38-year-old man who's lost to two of the most vicious lightweights there's ever been, Charles Oliveira, Justin Gaethje, and he nearly got his arm ripped off his body by Benil, or he nearly got his leg taken off by Benil Dariush as well. He's kind of like, um, he's, he's had nearly every limb taken off his body by each of his last opponents. And yet he came back and he won that round against Michael Chandler, one of the most dangerous lightweights there are. Now, you can look at this in one of two ways. You can look at this as a guy who's on his last gas reserves, or you can look at it as a re-motivated and re-energized El Kikui. History tells me it's the latter, and I'm going to believe that it is the latter. I thought Tony Ferguson in that first round was the most impressive that I've seen him since pre-Justin Gaethje. I thought he was that damn good. Nobody goes out and puts a beating on Michael Chandler like that, really, unless you're Justin Gaethje in that fight. Left him with a nasty, nasty black eye, which will take a while for Chandler to recover from. Even, Jack, we were talking before we came on, Kevin, you know, even his groundwork, the elbows from the bottom were slicing Chandler up. People forget about this very, very quickly. So, yeah, I think Tony Ferguson's stock goes up from here. I think it was a horrible knockout, a one-in-a-million shot that could have happened to anybody and would have knocked anybody out. But on the whole, I really think Tony Ferguson looked great, and I do think he will be back. I genuinely do. Now, on to Iron Michelangelo himself, Mr. Michael Chandler. I do think I can't believe we got religious iconography into this. This is a neat <laughs> off, but I, I'm just gonna say that was well done by you, Kevin. Fair play. I appreciate um, it. <laughs> yeah, we, we brought the Bible into MMA. I mean, I don't know what's happening. But anyway, Michael Chandler on a serious note, one of the best knockouts I've ever seen. Probably one of the best knockouts that have ever happened. Um Credit to him for pulling out such a wicked shot. And he literally pulled it out of nowhere. This wasn't Anderson Silva or Leoto Machida where he lured him into it and it was premeditated. He literally pulled this on the fly. And in some ways, that makes it a more impressive knockout than Vitor Belfort or Randy Couture or, well, technically Vitor Belfort twice, but you can take your pick. This was just a beautiful knockout. It really, really was. But what made it possible was Tony Ferguson's miscalculation of distance only for a second. That's all it took. I mean, Kevin just gave you people a brilliant breakdown of what caused Chandler to go to the kick, but I'm going to tell you why the kick was successful. Tony Ferguson was circling around the octagon really, really well. Footwork was brilliant. But just for a second, he thought he was out of the strike zone. He thought he was far enough away. The only shot that could have hit him and hurt him was a basically a standing crane kick. And the one time that it comes out, it came out from Michael Chandler and it knocked Tony Ferguson's head out of the arena. 
So Michael Chandler deserves a crap ton of credit because that was to pull that out on the fly mid fight is one of the most brilliant moves I've ever seen. Michael Chandler, you have got all of my credit and all of my respect because that was bloody fantastic. And as for the promo, absolutely genius work. Absolute Chael Sonnen would be crying at that. That was perfect. <laughs> that was that was Austin three sixteen esque promo wise. It was brilliant. And gentlemen, do you want to know why it was even more brilliant? Not only did he call out Conor McGregor, not only does that fight stylistically make sense, but Chandler has now cornered Conor, and Conor can't reject that fight because he offered to go up to 170. Conor said he doesn't want to go back to lightweight. Chandler said, you don't want to go back to lightweight? That's fine. Let's do it at 170 then. I want to move up anyway. I'm not the smallest lightweight. So now Connor has to accept that fight or he's the weaker person in this exchange. Michael Chandler, you're a genius. Fair play to you. Here's one thing, though. Here's the only downside that I always see to someone like Michael Chandler jumping at the chance to go up to 170. Connor's a more experienced 170-pounder than Michael Chandler. And I all I've seen is Michael Chandler, when the pressure gets put on him, that gas tank, you know, real, like you saw against Justin Chandler, I mean, Justin Gaethje, uh, that, <laughs> Justin Chandler, imagine, <laughs> oh, my God. The, the, the ultimate the UFC fighter. fighter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, Justin Chandler. Okay, anyway. <laughs> If Justin, like if like Justin Gaethje, like, you know, he was like being methodical, right? Piecing him apart. And like you could see the gas tank was just wearing out on Michael Chandler. In my opinion, Conor McGregor, if he if were to match up with Michael Chandler, Michael Chandler 155 is perfect. Michael Chandler 170. I mean, he wrestles with Kamaru Usman. Don't get me wrong. I've seen him work with Kamar Usman, but I don't know. Uh, I think Michael, like it, it would be like rewatching, in my opinion, McGregor Mendes uh, at the end. Like it's you know, that would be, it would be a, yeah. Except it'd be a much bigger guy. Like you know, McGregor. I mean, Mendes uh, was like him. You know, he had strong hands, could wrestle, right? Just like uh, Chandler, strong hands can wrestle. Uh, and I, oh, the only thing is, I feel like. Uh, Michael Chandler's a little bit more technical with the stand-up than uh, Mendez was. Uh, but, like, yeah, honestly, guys, um, before, like, you know, Michael Chandler has to be careful. I would wait out for McGregor rather than jump at Oliveira. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. I, I don't think he's going to be offered Oliveira, though. I think that's Makachev. I think I think oh, get out of here. I think so. Oh, my God. I actually don't think it's either of those. I don't think it's Chandler, and I don't think it's Makachev. Do you want to know who I think's next for Oliveira? I think they're going to give Conor wait, wait, wait. a shot. Kill it, no. kill it, kill it, kill it. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Before you go, because you started yeah. this, I want you to get your piece in last. My, my, the way I see it is, if, if Alex Volkanovsky can put the Walker. seal on. Oh. <laughs> 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 wow. Wow. <laughs> no, wait, wait, wait. If he can put the seal on the Max Trilogy, that super fight's there. 
that's true. Like, hey, honestly, uh, Keelan, uh, I have the uh, uh, text receipts saying I messaged this a long time ago, but I was looking at this because who else can Alex face and Charles face at this point that, you know, hasn't really proved themselves. Like if Charles manages to, honestly, the number one champ, number one contender, and then Alex coming in as champion for the lightweight, vacant lightweight championship. I don't hate him. Jack, who are you going to say? Uh, no, I, I was, I'm still I sit behind that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not jumping on it. Look, that'd be fun. I'm not jumping on that train yet though. I mean, I, I still, I still think Makachev, but um, that's interesting. So about the channel. Well, why do you yeah. think Makachev? What, what happens? You, you know, you're going to look bad if Darius beats him, right? Oh, I'm going to look terrible, but I would love it. I would love for Darius to beat him. Like, I would think that would be so fun. I think Makachev is the most dangerous guy for Charles Oliver right now, except for, I, I guess, if Volkanovsky were to go up. Um, but he is, dude, I mean, Makachev is, is like Habib 2.0. Like, he's going out there. He's just mauling everyone, taking them down. Granted, the opponents aren't as good as Charles Oliveira. But everyone was saying that about Charles Oliveira until he got to the title fight. They were like, oh, he's beating all the best guys, but beats Kevin Lee until, oh, he fights for the title. Turns out, oh, you know, he is that good. So uh, I think that's the fight to make. Everyone's talking about that fight. Daniel White saying, yeah, that's probably the guy. So I think logically, I think that makes sense at the time. See, um, here's yeah. here's where I'm at with Islam Makachev because we've got we've segued onto a very interesting topic here, yeah. which is of course the title picture. If it is Makachev, and there's no guarantee it will be, but if it is Islam Makachev, what I like about this fight is that we're gonna find out what it would have been like if Habib had fought in Oliveira. That's what I'm saying. And that's that's okay. why I like this fight. I don't I don't necessarily like it because it's Islam Makachev, great a fighter as he is. I like this because it would have told us what Habib would have done one way or the other, whether he would have won or whether he would have lost. Because, look, Islam is a dominant wrestler. But I'm actually saying this right now, and you can put this on record, you can put it on repeat, do whatever you want. Charles Oliveira is the most dangerous jiu-jitsu fighter to ever fight in the UFC. Oh, well, statistically, I mean, statistically, yeah. Yeah, by, yeah statistically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 nobody... And I don't even think Islam Makachev would want to go to the ground with Charles Oliveira. And that's why that fight would be intriguing. Because Islam would need to keep that standing. And I think Oliveira's got the advantage on the feet. That's where I'm at. You guys are you guys aren't looking at one of the key components of his game that no one seems to give attention to, which are his knees. Yeah. His knees to the body. The clinch that he comes up to, he gets him in the clinch of the knee. Oh, my God. That is constant pressure. Yo, literally, his if he needs to get out of something, he throws a knee. You saw him throw a double flying knee when he was clinching uh, Dustin Poirier, bro. That. A uh, freaking knee that he has is so good. That's where I think uh, Islam is going to be like hesitant because if he tries to clinch or shoot that knee, you got to be careful. You know, you catch a knee to the temple, bro. You're going to be looking at the stars like they're beautiful as ever. You understand? <laughs> the album. So like, oh, that's another thing. Like, and you know, it's not like you can shoot at Charles. Look at how technical Charles Oliveira was with Justin Gaethje on the grappling and then the transitions and right into the submission. Islam was watching that. And I'm telling you right now, Islam was like, so I can't stand up with him. 
even if I wrestle him, I had to get into a more dominant position than full guard. I'm telling you right now, if Islam takes him down and he ends up in the close guard of Charles Oliveira, mind you, that is in snow. He needs to get at least half guard when he takes him down. Some sort of mount, some sort of control to the point where Charles can't attack him directly. I'll go as far as say this. I don't think I don't think he can take him down early in the fight. Whenever they're still dry, oh, no. it, I don't think any position, any position on the ground with Charles Oliveira early in the fight, first two rounds is safe. He's going to have to survive on the feet for at least two rounds. I think Makachev. If if the Makachev... only way, sorry, the only way Makachev wins this fight, in my opinion, is either by decision, yeah, or by ground and pound. Yeah, for sure. That, those are the only two ways. For sure. Because the other options are unavailable to him. Yeah. 100%. Islam, if Islam Makachev does not get past Charles Oliveira's legs, he's dead in the water. And that's the simplest way I can put it. If he does not get past Charles Oliveira's guard at all, he will not make it out of win. He just won't. Charles Oliveira's game, whether it's half guard, full guard, whatever it is, his guard game is far too good. If Makachev tries to stand up and pass the half guard, he will leg lock him. If he's in the full guard, he's getting triangled or he's getting transitioned onto his back. You cannot afford to be on the ground with Charles Oliveira. Even if it's Volkanovski, he will not oh, want yeah. to be on the ground with Charles Oliveira. The only way Makachev wins this is by getting to side control. That's it. All he can do is get to side control and pray he can ground a pound. If he doesn't get to that on the ground, Oliveira's got him. Yeah, for, I mean, that's why Volkanovski would be more interesting because Volkanovski has great stand-up. I think we all give Oliveira the stand-up advantage because at least offensively, that dude is really technical on the feet. And if you can drop Michael Chandler and Justin Gaethje like that, you're you're really good on the feet. So I'm, I'm looking forward to see what's next for Charles Oliveira. But for now... Let's go ahead and transition to the last topic today, the discussion of the week. Um, and we've had like a lot of fun stuff to talk about on the podcast. Now we have a bit of a letdown. Um, what could Rose Namajunas have done differently in her fight against Carla Esparza? Oh, also, real quick, guys, I went three for three on my picks um, this past thing. That <laughs> never happened. Carla Esparza, unreal. <laughs> Just say, anyways, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I got a round of applause for you, Jack. You deserve it. You really do. For those of the people that pick Carlos, I, I actually, to all my friends that went out to me for betting advice, I told them not to bet on the Carla and Rose fight. Yeah. I didn't know how it was going to go. Yeah. In my opinion, um, if I am Rose and I am a champion, yeah. there's corners advice, and then there's the champion's mentality. A champion should know what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. All right. You're not a number one. Can you, you've been there. You've done, this is in your first rodeo. That is the whole thing that that was upsetting was this isn't your first time defending your belt. This isn't your first time in the big stage. If anything, you should be more polished and re, like more fine when you're at the stage, you know, you yeah. should be able to handle it with grace rather. Oh, like all due respect to Pat Barry, you know, him being, Rose, uh, Rose's uh, fiance and being a coach. I mean, I understand, um, you know, like this is where Trevor Whitman should be taking control rather than Pat. Yes. Barry. 100%. Yes. Um, Pat Barry should be the one offering support, uh, you know, emotional advice, but anything that coming from the fight perspective, the technical advice straight from uh, Trevor Whitman 
And I honestly think that was the whole reason why um, the fights when both fights that he had to coach went the wrong way was I don't think Justin ended up listening to what uh, needed to be done from Trevor's perspective, the coaching advice. It seemed that way to me. I, yeah. I, I can't be sure. And then the same thing applied to uh, Rose. Like, you know, Trevor should have been letting her know, hey, you're not doing much in this round. We need you to, you know, get more active. Show, you know, show her that because at that point, it looked like Carla wanted the belt more. That was the whole reason she won the fight. It wasn't like she dominated, like, the, the whole reason why Carla winning this title isn't like the prettiest thing in the world for her is because what's there to show for it. One <laughs> couple of takedowns, like a couple of strikes here and there, like women, you're at the biggest stage, right? You're already having women's MMA already has an uphill battle when it comes to compared to MM, uh, men's MMA. Right. And then putting on fights like this and then calling for equal pay and everything like that. Like, this is where, like, you have to prove, like, okay, you know, the champions are always up to par. Like, you know, men champions can have boring fights, but they don't have the uphill battle of fighting, you know, against uh, pay-wise. Like, for this, like, you know, uh, Carla Esparza winning right now. Like, wh where does it go next? Like, the Joanna rematch? Like, I don't, like, if anything, I think Joanna is much better than ever. Yeah, uh, and I I think it's an easy rematch for Joanna. If anything, that's a, that's the, like the best thing for Joanna to happen to Joanna was Carla winning, right? Yeah, and now all like all she needs to do is pick up like she doesn't even need to make a statement victory with Weili Zhang anymore. See, before she like with Ro with Rosa's champion, uh, JJ needed a statement to get that another title shot, but now with Carla. No, she has the uh, she already has a win over her. Just exactly. get her, if anything, just get her, just roll her way into a decision victory and boom. And it's not even five rounds, it's three rounds, exactly. Exactly, bro. Yo, like if JJ, this is oh my god, like the best thing, like the uh, Christmas came early for JJ, yeah, right? Is like, it, no, there's no snow around, it's nice weather outside. <laughs> Christmas came early, uh, and um. In, in now Rose, in my opinion, has to fight someone like Mackenzie Dern. I think Mackenzie Dern's the about, next fight for Rose. What about Marina Rodriguez? What about Jessica Andrade? Oh, well, the, here's the thing. They've already thought three times, though, haven't they? Or is it two? Twice. Oh, okay. I, who, Jessica and... Uh, and Rose. Rose. Okay. I think Carla, I, you guys should have seen the Twitter promo that um, uh, Jessica put out, and it was pretty great. I did see it. Um, you know, it was like she turned heel and she was calling for Carla's head. You know, she's like, I want your head on like a freaking spike or something. Yeah. Um, I think if I'm Carla, I'm not taking that fight. Uh, uh, and that's, you know, I, she can take it. She can prove me wrong. I just think it's a very dangerous fight because from what we saw, like, you know, her in the 125 pound division and then coming back down and still being dangerous, you know, doing something that is not even possible with the men, you know, you don't see yeah. that with men doing standing arm triangles. 100%, 100%. Right. So if anything, you know, if I'm Carla, this is a dangerous time to be champion. Honestly, like you meant like when she first came in as champion, it was so much easier. Right. 
But then, unfortunately, JJ came into the picture and uh, had to you know, cut the, the dream short. <laughs> right? But right now, it's even worse because JJ is, you know, pro- more primed than ever to, like, get back in there. Uh, there's Jessica Andrade, who's dangerous, has power, he, who can grapple. You know, she, you can you can listen. The fight she had with Rose, she can't have with anybody else in that division. So, good luck, Carla. Esparza, you are officially in the Barracuda division. I would say female <laughs> shark division, yeah. the Barracuda division. Yeah, uh, it's very dangerous. So, um, it, it, MMA, uh, it's it's getting hot. It's summertime. It's getting hot. Oh my god, we got more action coming. That's right. Yeah. Um. The again, there's a lot to break down here. And um, we got Rose's fight, of course, and then everything subsequently that impacts off of that. Um. First of all, what an awful, awful disappointment <laughs> like that was. Um. I mean, I, I'm not even gonna say some of the things I could say because you know we try to keep it professional here on the MMA Island podcast. And of course, that's what we do. We roll professionalism, but it wasn't a good look. Let's just put it that way. That's the nicest way I can put it. You know how we do here. Um, Carla Esparza and Rose Namajunas, that's the fight that should have had the belt vacated because neither of them deserve to walk away <laughs> with it, in my opinion. Yeah, man. Um, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm sure Carla Esparza is a lovely woman. She's a real professional, no issue with her whatsoever. But she just did not do enough to walk away with the belt. Rose Namajunas, very, very poor, did not deserve to walk away with the belt either. Every single round, realistically, could have been 10-10. And it could have just been a draw. And we all go home, we forget it ever happened. But, I mean, Carla Sparza, like you said, Kevin, she had a couple of takedowns, a few shots here and there. And I guess that was enough to get it done. Fair enough, I guess, but it, it will go down as one of the worst fights we've ever seen, no doubt at all. Um, moving on to Rose Namajunas and what she could have done better, or more specifically, what she shouldn't have done. What she should not have done was have Pat Barry in her corner. I'm firmly with Kevin on this. Pat Barry was giving some of the worst advice I've ever heard a fighter get in their corner. Let me give you one example because I could give you about five or six. I'll just give you one because, of course, we try to keep it rolling. At the end of the second round, Rose Namajunas goes into her corner. Loud, loud boos from the crowd. Oh, I yeah. Really loud boos. Rose Namajunas is a fan favorite fighter. She gets sat down. And what's the first thing that comes out of Pat Barry's mouth? You hear that booing. That means you're doing something right. What in Jesus Allah's name are you thinking, Pat Barry? Your fiance is one of the biggest fan favorites in women's MMA. She's getting rinsed from the crowd and you're telling her she's doing something right? Where's your head at, man? What is going on? Absolute mental. Absolutely mental. I'm not even going to, I mean, God knows, but... The other thing that should have happened was Trevor Whitman should have been much more firm in that corner. We should have shoved Pat Barry out of the octagon after the second round, told Rose to get her head in the game and step on the gas pedal. Uh, I thought Trevor Whitman was giving good advice, but he was getting drowned out by the idiocy of Pat Barry. And at the end of the day, Rose Namajunas emotionally is going to listen to her fiancé over her coach. 
This is why I don't believe in spices being in fight corners and fight night. It messes shit up and it makes business very untidy. We take emotion out of things. We don't add emotion into them. It's a recipe for disaster, but it is what it is. So those are the two things that uh, Rose's corner should have cleared up, but Rose herself was not good enough. Like Kevin said, and again, I agree with Kevin, she's a fighter. She should have known to push the pace. And at the end of the day, if it gets to the fourth round and you know you haven't done anything, you can realize that you should start maybe pushing the pace on an opponent who's way shorter than you and whose arms are way shorter than yours. There's no excuse for not engaging. I don't care what anybody says. Carla Esparza has a little bit of an excuse because she's really short and, you know, she still runs around the octagon punching straight like that, like Roxanne Modafferi. Rose Namunas has no excuse. Her kickboxing is much better developed. Her striking is much better developed. She should have pushed the pace and she should have gone for the knockout in the early rounds and we would not be having this conversation. But it is what it is and we can't unwind the hands of time, as they say. So... Last part for me before we get your thoughts, Jack, because again, I'd love to know what you think. Where does this leave the division? Well, the biggest winner out of this fight is what Kevin just said. The biggest winner is Joanna Yerjacek. Yeah. She's yeah. coming back to a lot of fanfare. Obviously, a lot of people love Joanna. She's brilliant to watch. And as long as she gets a win in her next fight, she's going to be fighting for that belt, be under no illusion. Every, every woman at the top of 115 has already fought each other. So Joanna's coming back and she will walk into a title shot and she'll probably win. Carla Esparza is the easiest possible fight for Joanna Yerjacek. Rose would be a tougher fight. Weili Zhang would be a way tougher fight. Jessica Andraj would be a tougher fight. Uh, Marina Rodriguez would probably even be a tougher fight as well. Charla Esparza is the single easiest fight Joanna Yerjacek could ask for. Like Kevin said, Christmas has come early for ATT and Joanna. She will be, she'll be in her gym in uh, Coconut Creek. She'll have seen that fight and she will be on her knees. Thank the MMA gods for this result because she's practically guaranteed a title shot and probably another title reign. Rose has lost massively from this fight. Charla Esparza lost massively from this fight. The biggest W holder from this fight is the boogie woman. You want to hear Jacek? Yeah, man. I mean, that's perfectly said. I here's Here's my thoughts on this, right? Carla Esparza won the title off of failed takedown attempts. And I say that because she won the fourth round, which is where she got her two takedowns. She probably lost the fifth because Rose finally did something in that round. Rounds one through three, failed takedown attempts. She had like six other takedowns that she didn't do, and she won the round. I think rightfully so, even still, because at least she would go forward for 10 seconds throughout all no. that. It was terrible. It was terrible. It was so bad watching. And I feel bad. It, it, you know it's bad when the commentators say it sucks. Like Joe Rogan was like, that fight was just terrible. And and, and again, it, it hurts because we love, we, everyone loves, loves Rose, but she just didn't do anything. The question is, what should Rose have done differently? Well, what she should have done differently is something. She didn't do anything in the entire fight. She kind of just sat back and was just waiting. And, and Carla was doing the same thing. Uh, it was, it's just frustrating, I think, in one word. So, um overall like i mean you guys summed it up great i mean yoana benefits from it uh honestly y'all like on like i'm 50 50 still on the yoana 
versus Wei Li fight, I think Wei Li could still win that. And if Wei Li wins that, well, guess what? We probably have the new champion there as well. So um, I think Marina Rodriguez, I am so high on her uh, as well in this division. She looks great. If Marina Rodriguez gets another win against someone, I, she's in a weird spot right now. Maybe she'll fight Rose next. I don't know. If she gets a win and, and goes up, she could be champion right now. The, the division is wide open at, at the top. The, the, the one thing I can't yeah. believe is that Carla became champion. Yeah. Without having to fight JJ or Wei Li to get to become the champion, or or Marina Rodriguez either, and she's or, she's the top contender, yeah. Or Jessica Andrade. Like yeah. none of these people, like bro, like <laughs> that's what makes it more worse for Rose. Is yeah. like this is like hey, this is your the, the redemption. This is the redemption arc. Exactly. You understand? Exactly. This was the redemption arc for Rose. It's it's the filler and, chapter. Exactly. Yeah. You understand? Like when we don't have the episodes, here it comes. Exactly. Yeah. Here it comes. Yeah. Here's another ruby. Put it on your belt. That was what everybody was thinking. Let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. That's what everybody was thinking. It's, it's what should have happened. Yeah. And instead, like Rose actually gave us a reason not to like her. For the first time in her MMA career, she gave us a reason not to like her. Yeah. So, if anything, I like this is just she needs to analyze, not talk to Pat Barry. Um, you know, it just blows my mind that she, Carla Esparza, without fighting some of the dangerous people in the division, became champion. You understand? That's what makes it worse for Rose is that you got, you got. Yeah, it, it's it was really upsetting because like Rose was I thought Rose was going to be a long term champion. That's oh, in my thought. Uh, you know, especially with the way she uh, rematched Wei Li, uh, you know, got everything done, and sadly, you know, she loses on her second defense. Disappointing. It's crazy. Yeah, it's just. I, I don't know what more I can add to what we've already said because it's just shocking. It really, really is. Um, like you said, Kevin, Rose has given us a reason to genuinely not like her, and that's, that is shocking to me because Rose has always been a firm fan favorite. But the it's just it, what gets it for me is just the utter unwillingness to engage like, if it had been Jessica Andrade or Joanna Yerjacek where she's been through the fire before, I'd understand that because she's taken damage in those types of fights. Even if it was a Weili Zhang, again, I would get it. But Carla Sparza is, and I, again, I mean no disrespect to Carla Sparza, I really don't. But she's the easiest fight you could have stylistically. You know, she's a wrestler who's short and has no reach. Why aren't you engaging? That head kick was there. I was, I was, I was waiting for yes! it so much. Oh my god! Was the there. head kick was there? Over. Was there over. all day? And, and you know what sucks to... is, yeah. yeah. What sucks is that we as journalists see this, and the coaches weren't even telling it to her. That's my biggest takeaway. Is I, I think this is the first time we've seen Trevor Whitman really fail as a head coach. Drop the ball. I, I yeah. think so. Even you, you can say all that you want about Pat Barry. He should have stepped aside and said, "Okay, Rose." This is what's happening. We should have had a word with Pat Barry and said, okay, I'm taking over right now. We need to make a change because this is this is bad. This is not going away. 
You see, if that was an Eric Nixick or another major coach, he would have stepped in and he said, right, like you said, Jack, yeah. right, get rid of all of that. This is what we're doing now. Trevor Whitman is an amazing coach. I'm not criticizing him in any way. His credentials more than speak for themselves. But sometimes as a head coach, you've got to know when to step in for your fighter and get them to start working. Yep. If, if it was just the first round, I'd understand that. But two, three, four rounds in and you're not saying anything. I, I'm, I'm genuinely stunned. I, I honestly am. And the worst thing about the Trevor Whitman thing was they did a piece on Trevor Whitman focusing in on his coaching and his rise with his, you know, of how he coached uh, back-to-back fights with Usman and yeah. uh, Gaethje, you know, and how he was really emotional and, you know, how each of his uh, fighters mean to him, you know, coaching them and all that. And then all of a sudden to have the worst night of his life, in my opinion. Yeah, no, it was. It was. Oh, yeah, it literally was. Professionally, I think this was the worst night of his life. Um, you know, um, a lot of like, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to look at when going back to the drawing board. Um, Justin Gaethje, I don't think will ever get another title shot. Um, you know, losing against Habib, losing against Charles, like this was like you could not have set the play better for Justin to become champion. Yeah. At this point, then you're asking someone to spoon feed you. You understand? Like, you're getting 30% of the purse. You've got an over-depleted Charles Oliveira, right? That's what I didn't understand when Paul Felder started tweeting and going after a Charles DeBarro. I feel for Justin. What do you mean? Everything has set him. If anything, the deal has gotten better. Oh, for sure. For Most Justin Gaethje. Oh, yeah. Most definitely. Yep. There's nothing 100%. to feel like, you know, this was like, this is just you like seeming like a robot, a company robot, just, you know, spewing out a message that the company, no, listen, Charles de Bronx, if anything killed himself, did what a champion needed to do, which is cut, try to cut the weight. You understand to make the weight. And if it hadn't been for the miscount uh, with the mishandling of UFC prop, not Charles de Bronx property, UFC property. The champion would have made weight because he would have been more alert of the fact that he had more weight to cut. 100%. 100%. You understand? So, so for before you, I uh, give the transition to you, Killen. If anything, I like uh, a lot of people ask, I think Charles Oliveira has the right to sue the UFC because he is t- the, he, not only does him losing the championship take out of pay, it yeah. also takes out of pay per view points takes out of how much he makes in his next fight. It affects his future, guys. You know, could, could a lot of sponsorship deals could have been running because he was champion. Now, because he's not champion, they can revo- take that away from him. Yeah. So, so a lot, <laughs> lot of these things, sorry, a lot of these things go into effect. Um, you know, our co-worker James LaHart, right? I have one uh, note to say to him, which was, oh, you know, Oliveira did what all champions would have done, which is do his absolute best to make weight. He is not responsible for UFC equipment. The UFC is. Yeah. You understand? Because it is being tampered out of his control is not for his supervision because he is the champion, guys. The champion should be taken care of by the organization. 
not the other way around. Not the champion should be taking care of the organization. The organization should be taking care of the champion, making sure that they're not making things harder for him. So when it comes to that, the UFC has failed Charles DeBronx as champion. And James Lohard, my, my friend, I'm sorry, but I have to disagree with you. Charles DeBronx did not do anything wrong. This was the UFC at fault. They mishandled their own property and they did not, uh, uh, you know, appropriate the supervision necessary for the equipment. And unfortunately, the UFC and the commission decided to penalize Charles DeBronx for something out of his reach. So please... Uh, I think there needs to be more uh, uh, more exposure into this uh, weight gate, as I call it. Uh, so please look into it, guys. Thank you so much. But like, honestly, this is ridiculous. Yeah. There's one issue I have to raise here. And Kevin, I'm glad you bring this topic up because I think if I'm right, I have to slightly disagree with you, of course, respectfully. But this is where I'm coming from with this. I agree fully. Charles Oliveira has been screwed over and he's he's right to be pissed off because he should have his belt, but he's pissed off at the wrong people. He shouldn't be suing the UFC or throwing anything out against them. He should be throwing it out against the Athletic Commission yes. of Arizona because yes. they're the people that manage weigh-ins and control that. Look, I'm not Dana White's biggest you know, ally. I'm certainly not going to defend him over everything, but that was the Arizona Athletic Commission's weighing equipment that they used, and they failed Charles Oliveira. Contractually speaking, the UFC have to strip a fighter if they don't make championship weight. To be fair to the UFC, they don't administer the weigh-in process. That's the Athletic Commission. If that weigh-in process was failed, that's on the Athletic Commission, not the UFC. They have to enforce the results. They don't create them or manage them. Now, do I think Charles Oliveira should consider it? Possibly, yes, definitely. Because like you said, Kevin, a lot of his livelihood might well be dependent on holding the title. But it was the Athletic Commission that messed up, not the UFC. And I do think people need to make that difference and that distinguishment as well. Dana White was genuinely upset um, about that. And I think that tells you all you need to know. So for me, if I'm Charles Oliveira, I would definitely be looking at issues with the Athletic Commission because that this cannot happen again. Yeah, no, I agree with you guys. I think a lot of it, too, is, is body type and the strategy that they had planned. But, hey, great podcast, everybody. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today. A lot of break, lots of breakdown, obviously, from the card. Um, as always, everyone, make sure to like and subscribe on YouTube. You can listen to us everywhere, literally everywhere, including iTunes and Spotify. Follow us on Instagram at MMA.Island and check out our website, MMAIsland.net. Again, everyone, thank you so much for listening. And Kevin, thanks so much for hopping on. All right, boys, enjoy the week and uh, stay tuned, guys, and come back for the next episode.